Hello, and welcome to the White's Chapel Sermon Podcast. We're so glad you've taken the time to listen to our weekly sermons. This is a quick way to enjoy or even revisit a recent message. I love this unexcused series that we are in. Um, as we've talked about, this is just this traumatic moment in the life of Moses, but not just Moses. This is one of the key events in world history. Events are going to happen after this moment that will change forever the history of the world, and it's so important that we spend time thinking about it. So you remember we began last week, Moses was an 80-year-old man out tending his father-in-law's sheep, minding his own business, and God speaks to him in a burning bush. And it kind of startles him, it scares him a bit, and it scares him more when he listens to what God has to say to him. God said, Moses, I have a job for you to do. I want you to go back to Egypt, and I want you to tell Pharaoh to let my children go and lead the children of Israel on to freedom. And Moses hears this, and he's terrified. He's scared to death, and he responds with excuses. We know them as the five buts of Moses. Lord, I hear you, but last week we talked about, who am I to do this? Surely there's somebody better than me to do this. Who am I? And today we're talking about, but who are you? He's trying to come with the grips with the challenge of the job that God has sent him to do that he doesn't feel equipped to do. And to get this, Pastor Todd remind us last week, Moses had a quandary. And that is, he was born an Israelite baby, but he was raised uh, in the Egyptian palace in Pharaoh's court. And so literally, he belonged to both tribes. He was an Israelite by birth. He was raised in the Egyptian court, but he didn't really fit into either of them. Neither group completely trusted him. He always seemed to kind of be on the outs, and as his life unfolded, he was really on the outs. So that's what he's thinking, God, you're speaking to me to go set your children free, but I don't really know their kind of religious language. I wasn't taught this. I wasn't raised in this tradition. I'm not so sure that I know how to do what you have asked me to do. And I want us to know that Moses' quandary has been the quandary of humanity through the centuries. And that is, how do we come to grips and explain and share who God is? Because think about it, God is majestic and glorious and immortal and invisible. We sang in our opening hymn, beyond our comprehension, how in the world can we take this glory and wonder of God and describe it in our little limited language that our words can't do justice or capture? Or think about God's nature. God is transcendent. God is everlasting. God is everywhere. That is, there's an infiniteness to God that our little peanut finite brains can never comprehend. So how do we find ways to describe what we have experienced? Which is why we said last week, it doesn't really happen best with our words. It happens in wonder and trust. But we struggle with who do we say that God is. And to be honest with you, as I mentioned, through the centuries, church councils have struggled with this issue. And great theologians have written more books trying to answer who God is. If you were to take every, every book written about God, literally it would fill this sanctuary. So I thought about, now how do we come to grips with this? 
And I could tell us some historic stories or go back and relive some of the church councils, but I decided to try a different approach today to help us come to grips with it by telling a joke, an old theologian joke. Now, I know you're thinking, is there anything more exciting than an old theologian joke? I know you're sitting on the edge of your seats. Now, before the joke, I need to give us background. And is there anything worse than for a preacher to give us background before a joke? So I know you're thinking, Lord, have mercy on what's about to happen. Well, you may be familiar with the name Karl Barth. Dr. Barth was one of the great theologians of the 20th century. He was born in Germany. He taught for many years in Switzerland, considered one of the great theologians of the 20th century. His epic work was a 16-volume set known as Church Dogmatics. Most people called it Dogmatics. Where in 16 volumes of little bitty, tiny print, he tried to answer this question about who God is. Now, I want to be kind to Dr. Barton. Um, this is dry, tedious, difficult reading. And I want to give us a little flavor. In here, he talks about understanding God in the midst of God's triune nature. And this is what he says. God is the totaliter eliter, the vestigius trinitatum, who speaks to us in the modality of Christomonism. Lisa, how would you like 16 volumes of that with little bitty print? So that sets up the joke. Now, let me share with us the joke. Isn't that terrible? <clears throat> John Calvin, Martin Luther, and Karl Barth make it to heaven. And they arrive at the pearly gates, and because of their distinguished work on earth, they're each granted a private audience with God. So Calvin goes first, and he goes in to talk with God privately. And after 30 minutes, he comes out, and he says, Aha! At last, I understand predestination. And next goes Martin Luther, and he goes in for his audience with God. And after 30 minutes, he comes out, and his face is just aglow, and he said, aha, at last, I understand why the letter of James is included in the Bible. And then Karl Barth goes in to talk to God, and they're in there for two hours. And after two hours, God comes out shaking his head and saying, I still don't get his dogmatics. <laughs> I know. <laughs> and I think there's a point there. Some things we're not supposed to get because our language falls short. That's why we understand God again in wonder and trust and, and worship as we come to grips with the nature of God. And we're going to see that in our scripture lesson for today and this experience of Moses. So if you have your Bibles, let's turn now to Exodus chapter 3, and we're going to read verses 13 through 17. Exodus 3, 13 through 17. Hear the word of God. But Moses said to God, if I come to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. He said further, thus you shall say to the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, thus you shall say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And this is my title for all generations. Go and assemble the elders of Israel. 
and say to them, the Lord, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob has appeared to me, saying, I have given heed to you and to what has been done to you in Egypt. I declared that I will bring you up out of the misery of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. Notice what's going on again. He has this experience of God and he says, but Lord, who are you? Who who, who am I going to tell the people? How am I going to describe this experience? I wasn't trained. I don't have the religious language. What am I going to do? How am I going to do this? And I love God's response. He isn't angry. He is patient. He is kind. What does he do? He explains to him gently, this is who I am. But more than that, he gives him a strategy. He gives him marching orders. This is what you do. You go and gather the people together and God gives him a script. This is what you tell them. And I love this passage because what God is doing to Moses is what God does to us. And that is when God gives us a mission, when God gives us a job to do, we don't have all the answers. Sometimes we don't even know how to explain this experience we have with God, but God says, go, go before you know, and when you go and serve, I will be with you, I will guide you, I will speak for you, I will give you the right word at the right time. But we have to go before we know. And I will tell you, that's my story. I always remember when I was appointed a a pastor, I was 29 years old, appointed at the Methodist Church in Haslett, Texas, back in June 1986. Many things I was terrified of, but the biggest, I was scared that somebody was going to ask me a question that I couldn't answer because I was trained as an accountant. I was a CPA. I'd never had a philosophy class or Bible class or theology class. And I thought somebody's gonna ask me something and I can't answer and I didn't wanna embarrass the church. I didn't wanna embarrass God. And I thought preachers are supposed to know it all. So I was there pastoring and I was about to start seminary in a few months. And I thought, you know, when I start seminary, somewhere in the curriculum, I'm gonna take the class where they give you all the answers. I'm going to take the class where the light comes on and I understand the mystery of the ages. Well, I have to tell you, I have earned now received two theological degrees and I haven't found that class yet. And what I have learned in 37 years as a pastor is that the closer I get to God, the more I don't know and the more I really don't care the more I realize we're not supposed to know. And I find peace and comfort in my lack of intellectual knowledge because you want to know why? Because in those moments, I am very much aware of who is the creature and who is the creator. And I think we need to learn that lesson that Moses had. Notice something else about this scripture. Notice verse 15. This passage is going to be very important to Jesus because at the end of his life, he's having a confrontation with the Sadducees, those of the religious elite, about the resurrection. And as as Jesus tries to talk to them about the resurrection, he is going to quote this passage in Matthew 22. Remember what Jesus said? He said, as for the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was said to you by God? I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. He is God, not of the dead but of the living. 
What Jesus is saying, remember these heroes of the faith. They experienced God in a personal way. That's how they found their life and they found their way. They experienced not only the God, but the God who is I am. And out of that experience, their life was changed. Remember Abraham, he was living in a foreign land and God called him to leave his land and found a new nation. Remember Isaac, God saved his life on Mount Moriah. Remember Jacob, he wrestled with an angel and was given a new name. They all had a personal experience of the great I am, not up here, but here in their hearts. And out of that personal experience, they, they listened and they wrestled and they followed the call of God. And, and just like we said about about Moses' question last week, this question, God, who are you? It's a question that we all have to confront too. Just like Moses' question last week, if we ever really wanna deepen in our faith, if we wanna grow in our faith, at some point, each and every one of us, we're gonna have to ask this question. But God, who are you? But I want us to notice something. I want us to, to notice something that I guess honestly isn't there. Did, did you notice that God not once, God never took offense at Moses' questions? Not once never did, did God embarrass him. Not, not once never did, did God scold him or get him in trouble. Not once did God say, hey, Moses, Mo, Moses won't, you, won't you just pipe down? My God always, God welcomes Moses' questions. And God welcomes our questions too. And for me, at least, that changes things. That, that changes the way that I, I approach this passage. And it changes the way that I approach God too. Because maybe, just maybe, maybe, maybe God isn't that clean yourself up first sort of God. Maybe God isn't the get your life straight first sort of God that I've always feared him to be. Because here God shows himself to be the sort of God that says, bring me your questions. Our God, is a, our God is a God who says, bring your questions and bring your dirty souls. And bring your dirty souls and experience me. Just like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Moses, if we wanna know God, we do it through that personal experience. Just like Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Moses, you and me, each of us, we have to have a personal experience. And it got me to wondering this week. This week I started to, to wonder and I started to work on this question of, of what, what, what is it? What, what gets in our way? What keeps us from that, that experience? What, like Moses' sandals last week, what separates us? What, what separates us from that, from that eye-opening, heart-warming, life-changing experience of the Almighty that we need? What gets in the way? And as I was wondering, I started to write down this list and things just kept occurring. Oh, this gets in the way, this gets, this gets in my way, this gets in my way. And whenever my list carried over to past the third page, I stopped. I stopped because I figured that y'all probably didn't want to hear an 82-point sermon this week. Um, 
I don't want to preach an 82-point sermon this week. So I stopped my work, I stopped making my list, and, and I, I went back and I tried to summarize it. I think I summarized it into, into three of the most common struggles, three of the most common barriers that get in between us and that experience of God. And the first one is this, it's sin. It's sin, it's sin that distances us from the heart of, of the Savior. Friends, make no mistake, sin gets in the way. Sin gets in the way just as surely as any wall that we might build. Sin, sin gets in the way, but this is a wall. This is a wall that we build one brick, one choice at a time with lust or greed or apathy or, or hate. Us just going our own way, us just doing our own thing regardless of whatever it was that Jesus might've said. That, that sort of willfulness. And I gotta be honest with you, in those times in my life, in those times in my life, whenever I felt God was, was the most distant, whenever I felt God was the furthest away, I have to tell you that during those times, it was never, it was never that, that, that it was God who would run away. It was always me. I was the one who'd always run away. And, and the crazy thing is, Jesus tells us what to do about it. Jesus tells us what to, to do about sin. He says to confess it and to repent. To confess and to repent. Literally to stop, to stop doing whatever it is that, that we ought not be doing. To stop and to turn around, to, 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 to go the other way, to run the other way, to run back home, to run back to, to holy ground. Jesus tells us what to do about it. To stop and repent, to confess and repent. But I love what C.S. Lewis said about it. I love what C.S. Lewis said about repentance. I love what C.S. Lewis said about forgiveness. Um, Lewis said that what happens most of the time, most of the time whenever we think that we're asking God to forgive us, actually what we're asking God to do is to excuse us. There's a big old difference there. Because the excuse thing, that's not the way God works. That's not the way it works when it comes to sin because God doesn't just play around with it. God doesn't toy around with it. A good and holy and righteous God can't. But God does give us a way. God does give us a way over it. God gives us a way through it. God gives us a way back. Because God gave us his, his son. And saying that, it, it reminded me of the story. It reminded me of the story that I actually heard for the very first time. I heard Pastor John tell it years and years ago. It's a story about, about Bud Wilkinson. Um, some of y'all may recognize the name. Bud Wilkinson was one of the greatest college football coaches in the history of the game. He coached for years up at the University of, of Oklahoma. He led the Sooners to, to actually several national championships. But, but during the season, Coach Wilkinson would do something that was kind of strange. Um, during the season, Coach Wilkinson would have his quarterbacks move into his house with him. He would have his quarterbacks move in with him and with his family, and they just, they just did life together. They ate all their meals together, they rode to practices together, they studied films together, they came up with new plays together. They were constantly talking about football. And one day a reporter asked the coach, a reporter asked Coach Wilkinson, why do you do this? 
Now, look what Coach Wilkinson said. Coach said, I do it because if that young man spends enough time with me, he'll begin to think like I think. And when he gets out there on that football field, he will know what I want him to do. And I thought, think in some strange sort of way, that's, that's exactly what Jesus wants of us too. For us to spend so much time with him that we begin to think like, like he thinks. And we'll start to believe that we will start to, to behave, that we will experience him in such a deep sort of way that it changes us, that it changes us from the inside out. And sin gets in the way of that. Sin gets in the way, but so too does pride. The particular sin of, of pride that distances us from the heart of the sovereign. Because um, I mean, we, we confess Jesus as Savior and we proclaim him as Lord. But that means that Jesus, that means that Jesus is supposed to be our boss. That means that Jesus is supposed to be our Lord. It means that he's supposed to be in control, that Jesus is supposed to be in control of, of our every breath, of our every moment, of our every day. But man, don't we like to help Jesus out. How quickly we, we yank back the reins of control in our life, especially at the first sign of danger or disappointment. And friends, that's just pride. That's... That's the idolatry of self. It's the idolatry of our abilities and our skills and our strengths and our smarts. It's pride. But I want us to remember, I want us to remember how Moses experienced God. Moses experienced God whenever he was out in the wilderness watching sheep. And they weren't even his sheep. He was out there and surely he was humiliated and embarrassed and exhausted. Moses was empty, he was alone. But that's where God spoke. And so could it, could it be, could it possibly be that our biggest barrier, that the biggest thing that keeps getting in the way in between us and God, could it possibly be that our biggest barrier is actually us? Could it be our pride? Could it be our, could it be our muchness? Could it possibly be that, that we haven't experienced God like that? We haven't experienced God in, since we can't remember when? Could it possibly be that we haven't experienced God because we haven't actually allowed ourselves any time, any real time out in the wilderness either? We're too good for that. We're too scared of that. We're too scared of what God's gonna say. We're too scared of what God is gonna ask. Or could it simply be, could it, could it simply be that we've just simply gotten so overcommitted to our own lives that we don't have time and we don't have room and we don't have margin for anything else? Could, could it simply be that we have simply gotten overcommitted to our own lives that we are undercommitted to everything else? And if that's the case, then, then friends, we're never, we're never gonna reach the promised land. We're never gonna reach this land that's flowing with, with milk and honey. If that's the case, then friends, we're, we're never really actually ever going to experience God. We're never gonna to know God. This God who gives us his name, this God who, who gives us his personal name. I mean, it happens here, it happens in the wilderness. It happens in the wasteland here for the very first time. 
No one had ever heard it before. No one had ever known it before. And we only know it because Moses, Moses dared enough to ask it. You want to know who God is? You, you want to know what God is like? Just look at the people that God uses. The least and the lost. The losers. Ours is the God who uses broken people. Because who else is there? But that means that we got to be willing to be broken. It means that we got to be willing to be humbled and to be used. Our sin gets in the way. Our pride gets in the way. And our expectations get in the way. Our expectations that, that distance us from, from the heart of, of the shepherd. Have you ever thought of it like this? Have you ever noticed this, that, that Moses was one who, who was born and, and who was raised in the house of a king and then would go on to be a shepherd? But David was one who was a shepherd and then went on to live in the house of a king. And then Jesus, Jesus was one who was both at the exact same time, Jesus was both a shepherd and a king at once. He was a sovereign and a shepherd at the same time. But what that means is that if Jesus, if Jesus is a shepherd, that means you and me, we got to be sheep. We got to be sheep. And the very first step, lesson number one of being sheep is learning to follow. It's following. It's getting beyond all of our preconceived notions and getting beyond all of our expectations of who God is supposed to be and, and what God is supposed to do and learning to trust. It's learning to follow. It's learning to be led. Step number one, learning to be led. And that is a learned skill for, for we hard charging, trained to win over achievers, learning to be led. We're gonna learn to surrender, to, to submit. Because time and time again throughout the Gospels, Jesus says that that's, that's what real sheep look like. And Jesus wasn't talking about the wolves in sheep's clothing. And, and Jesus wasn't talking about what's almost as common these days, sheep in wolves' clothing. You know what I'm talking about there? Sheep in wolves' clothing. It's Christians who play. It's Christians who live by the standards and the rules of this world. Jesus wasn't talking about wolves in sheep's clothing or sheep in wolves' clothing. Jesus was talking about real sheep. He said, you want to call yourself a real sheep? said, so you want to call yourself a real disciple? This is what you do. You deny yourself, you pick up a cross, and you follow. Follow me with nothing held back. Follow me with no area of your life off limits. That's what it looks like. That's what it looks like to know and to trust and to follow the shepherd's lead. And their expectations our expectations just get in the way. Um, I was doing some research this week, and so I, I grabbed one of my old Bibles. Um, my mom and dad, my, my parents gave me this Bible the, the sophomore year, while, my sophomore year when I was in, in high school. And so for nearly 30 years, it has, it has recorded, it has marked some of the highest and lowest moments of my life. Um, here, here in the front, there is a, there's a witness to some of those times whenever I felt God the closest. 
times of uh, rededication, the, the day I surrendered to go into ordained ministry. Here in the front is a celebration, but, but in the back, the back is a record of despair. It's memories of betrayals and falls and, and failures. Even now, my worries, my fears, my worries for our world and for our country and for our church and for my family and, and for my ministry. And I struggle, I'll be honest with you, I struggle. I struggle to let Jesus be the, the shepherd, I struggle. I worry, will, will, my boys make, will my boys make the right choices when they're faced with temptation? And I worry about our church. I worry, are we gonna be okay? Is our church gonna be okay as this world gets all topsy-turvy, upside down? I worry and I fret and I pray and how desperately I need, how desperately I want another one of those moments. Another one of those, those, those moments to, to etch here in the front of this good book, some new something, some wonderful something that would come and, and remind me uh, 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 of the shepherd's goodness, of the shepherd's love to, to remind me, to inspire me with the shepherd's heart. Desperately, I want that. And this week I found it. This week as I was, I was flipping through, um, quite unexpectedly, I found it just right back here in the back, um, back here surrounded by scribbles and notes and a whole lot of teenage angst. Uh, there's, there's this page, this blank page, and, and on it's a heart. A heart, um, I hadn't seen it in years. Quite honestly, I'd actually forgotten that it was in here. Flipping through this, this spiritual journal of my life, I rediscovered it. I saw it again for the very first time. I guess one of the boys years ago, they, they found my Bible and they left me a little note. They left me this, they left me this message, like a message in a bottle, a message trapped for over a dozen years, a heart. A heart to tell me, a heart to remind me that it's, it's all gonna be okay. It's, it's all gonna be all right, it's heart. Because that is the point of this book. It is the point. It is the encapsulation of this whole story. It is the love story of a God who, who loves us, who stopped at nothing to love us and to lead us and to save us. It's for, just for us to, to trust him. It's just for, for us to follow him. It's just for us to experience him to experience them, to experience them with all of our questions, but none of our excuses as we pray. God, this morning we, we come with gratitude in our hearts and our lips. God, thank you for hearing our prayers. Thank you for never giving up on us. Thank you for never leaving us. Thank you for always being faithful even whenever we're faithless. God, forgive us and draw near to us and change us. God, be the shepherd, be the sovereign, be our savior, Lord. Save us from everything that wants to trap us, everything that wants to distract us. God, come and be our reason why in a world of why not. Because Lord, we, we don't wanna get lost in a flurry of words this morning. We pray simply that you would come and have your way in us. 
Lead us, help us to experience you because that's what we need most. Lord, come to us, change us. Take us and use us. Use us all and only for the glory of your name because it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us. Please make sure to rate, review, and subscribe so you don't miss new releases. We'll have new podcasts coming out all the time. Be sure to check us out online at whiteschapelumc.com. Please download the WC Life app and follow us on social media to stay up to date with all things WC.